Good evening, Forest Heights Baptist Church. I'd like to welcome everyone to our evening worship service. We're going to begin tonight by standing and singing in the suite by and by. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet seated. Jesus. 
service. Let's all stand as we sing God of Grace. Thank you so much, Tank. When I was a child in the dark ages, uh, 
I recall in school when we would go to uh, kindergarten that uh, long before the days of video, sticking kids in front of a video machine to watch, we actually played games outside. We had uh, phenomenal games like Drop the Handkerchief and Red Rover, Red Rover, send somebody right over. I'm sure there would be a lawsuit today because arms would be getting mangled and stuff like that. But uh, we had all kinds of games that we would play uh, in regards to that. But one of the ones that we always seemed to get around to eventually was follow uh, the leader. And, of course, you know what everybody wanted to be during the course of that game was the leader. And the gist of it is, if you ever played that game, you know how it works. The leader leads a group through, and you're typically in some kind of a line, and you try to get them to do what you can do, and if they can't do it, you know, they're, they're out. They're out completely. Fast forward a few generations to the word follow, and it has an entirely different meaning today as it did way back when. Because to follow someone today in our world of social media means something entirely different, whether it's uh, 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 on Twitter or uh, Instagram or some other uh, media platform. It means the user chooses to see all the other users post uh, as, a, as a, uh, post their content on a feed. Uh, and, of course, the, the business world loves to get more uh, and more followers, because the more followers you can get, the more exposure you get, the more exposure you get. In theory, the more business you get, and the more business you get, the fatter your wallet gets during that time. Now, if you go back to the days of Jesus following, things meant entirely something different, too. He made uh, a constant use of that word. Let me share several verses as we kind of laid the foundation for the message tonight. Jesus said in John 1, the next day he decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and Jesus said to him, follow me. He wasn't talking about looking him up on Twitter or Facebook or something like that. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to me, to, to my voice, and, and I know them and they follow me. Luke 5, 27, after he went out and looked at the tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax office. He said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began following him. John 12, 26, Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In Matthew 4, 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In Matthew 10, 38, one who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Jesus said uh, in Matthew 19, 21, if you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Now, one of my personal favorites is found in John 21. You recall that encounter between Jesus and Peter? You recall Peter had denied the Lord how many times? Three. And in John 21, you have the record of what I think was somewhat of a restoration of ministry, where Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And each time, Peter responded with a yes. And after that interaction, 
In John 21, verse 19 and following, as a matter of fact, I think it goes back to verse 18. He says, truly, truly, I tell you, he's talking to Peter now. This is Jesus speaking. When you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk wherever you wanted. And when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, which was the term used to describe uh, crucifixion. And someone else will put your belt on and you will, it will bring you where you do not want to go. Now he said this, indicating what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, I remember Peter's just heard, you're going to die. Now when he said this, indicating what kind of death he would glorify God, and when he said this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following them. The one who leaned back on Jesus' chest at the at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who is going to betray you? So, so Peter, upon seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? <laughs> I love that because that's so like us. If I'm going to die, what about him? <laughs> you know, what about this other guy? Jesus kind of uh, rebuked him, didn't he? He says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me that brings us to the verse we're going to focus on tonight it's a single verse one that you are no doubt probably very familiar with Luke 9 23 where Jesus said if anyone wants to come after me he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me these words come on the heels of two questions that uh, Jesus had posed to them the first question was this, who do people say that I am? Well, the response to that was John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others, uh, one of the prophets who's, who's risen. The second question he posed to him was this, who do you say that I am? He says, the Christ of God. And it was on the heels of those two questions that Jesus sets forth what are the requirements, really, the, the prerequisites for being a disciple of His. If you want to be a, a follower of the Christ of God, if you want to follow the leader, here are the three things He said. To follow Christ requires a change of control. A change of control. He said you must deny yourself. The default setting in any person's life as far as control is concerned is self. Self. Unless something is done to unseat self, he's in the driver's seat from day one, from the time you start squalling as a baby saying, listen, I don't care what you guys are doing, don't care what time of night it is, I'm going to wake you up and let you know I'm the one in charge here. It's the default setting. I want to do it my way. Concerned about my interest, indulging the things I have an appetite for and nothing else. Jesus knew that unless the control mechanism was changed first, the rest of this stuff is fruitless. You've got to refuse self and de de renounce self. Denying anything that would prevent you from com uh, completing your commitment to Christ is the idea Denying everything that is rooted in the old life. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, he describes those things as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
We, we deny those things that seek to control our lives. And we brutally set aside pride and fear of, and all of the rights of the old self that it demands. In a book entitled Deep Discipleship, How the Church Can Make Whole Disciples of Jesus, the author says one of the greatest challenges facing churches today is discipleship that centers around the autonomous self. He goes on to say people's interest in spirituality is not waning, but the kind of spiritual, uh, spirituality people are in increasingly interested in is a spirituality that's focused upon self. He said the contemporary culture's mantra is this, self, and being true to oneself is a person's highest good. Have you heard that somewhere before? Be true to yourself. The book goes on to say salvation according to this self-centered discipleship is not found in knowing God but in knowing self. We're being told everywhere that the antidote to our stress, the antidote to our anxiety, the antidote to our confusion is simply finding ourself. But according to Jesus, discipleship is not about self-actualization or self-preservation. Uh, but about self-denial. Discipleship is not the pursuit of self that transforms our view of God, but a pursuit of God that transforms our view of self. And I think that's well said. Well, how do we deny self in this world, in this body, in this life that we live today? The first thing is we've got to relinquish control. We're no longer guided by self in our decision-making process. We ask the question, what is it that God would have me do? Now guided by the Savior and His agenda, not by our own, we've got to relinquish control. Now my dad, to my best of my knowledge, was not a believer. And I recall having a conversation with him one time as we were preparing to go overseas to the mission field. I was a young 32 years of age at that time and my daddy was a was a businessman, a highly respected man in the community there in Dawson where I grew up. And uh, I remember trying to share spiritual things with my father. And I remember telling him that when we got ready to go on the other side of the world, literally 12 time zones away, I said, God is leading me there. His question to me was, how much are you going to be making over there? <laughs> he had no clue. I told him, we're going to be making $13,000 a year. He said, each? I said, no, that's the price of a missionary couple. Going. He's, he said, well, you're making four or five times that much as a pastor. He says, I do not understand anybody that does not make their, their decisions based upon money. And that was as true as his gut feeling as he could have. But when you follow Christ, you've got to relinquish control. What doesn't seem to make sense to the world makes perfect sense in God. We've got to rethink our consumption. No longer are we consuming the desires of the flesh. Now we're consuming the things of the Spirit. We've got to realign our conduct. No longer is our conduct characterized by selfishness, but now it's characterized by selflessness. We've got to realize our crucifixion. 
No longer is crucifixion something that happened 2,000 years ago exclusively to Christ. Paul captured it in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself. So the question for us tonight is this, will you lose your old life or are you determined to hold tightly to it and try to save it? The second thing in this passage is to take up your cross daily. You see, to follow Christ requires a change of commitment. Change of control and a change of commitment. This was a public declaration for every believer. It was for us to say we are identifying with Christ. We are surrendering to him. We're, we're willing to suffer and sacrifice for him. In the Roman world, the cross was a symbol of shame. It was not some jewelry that you wore or something that you wore on a necklace or, or some kind of engraved image that you would have in your home. But it was a symbol of shame and suffering and rejection. There was nothing and no more despicable way to die. People would no more think of wearing a cross than they would think of wearing a gold or silver electric chair necklace. To take up the cross for Jesus meant to literally be crucified. For him who knew no sin became sin for us. What a sacrifice he made. That was the Father's plan. Jesus could die uniquely for us like no one else. For us, as Jesus chose what to do, what the Father called him to do, we also must choose what the call, Father calls for us to do on a daily basis. Each day should be a question answered for us. What does God want me to do today? How does God want me to interact with people today? How does he want me to share a witness for Christ uh, today? We take up our cross uh, daily. Now, sometimes you've heard people probably refer to some horrible thing that's happened to them as, well, this is just a cross I have to bear. Well, folks, I don't think that's what the Bible's talking about. It was talking about bearing your cross. Jesus said himself, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. When we take up the cross of Christ, it's not something somebody forces upon you. It's something you do willingly to say, yes, I am willing to follow the Lord wherever he would have me to go. Taking up the cross means to lift and bear it yourself. Jesus showed us by example how we're to approach this when there's some incredible commitment required you recall his conversation with the father in the garden the night of his night before his crucifixion when he said lord if there's any way this cup can can pass from me let it but not what my will but thy will be done that's the very crux of bearing your cross is to say yes lord your will is most important well, how do we take up our own cross? Our cross includes willingly sacrificing our own desires for the desires of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
the desire to see, receive praise and recognition, we sacrifice that and say, that's not important any longer. The desire to do what is best for me with no consideration of others, we set that aside as part of our selfish desires. The desire to do things my way, we sacrifice. Jesus says we take up our cross daily. Our cross includes also willingly submitting, submitting our own decisions so that they are no longer ours but the Lord's. We, we submit the means to, uh, means to place ourselves under the authority of another is what submit means. To submit means that whoever God wants me to be, I will be. And whatever God wants me to do, I will do. And wherever God wants me to go, I will go. That is part of taking up our cross and bearing it daily. But also our cross includes willingly submitting, substituting our own design for the Lord's design. Substituting God's goals for our goals. Substituting God's glory for our glory. Substituting God's gain for our gain. The third thing that we learn out of this verse of Scripture Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Is to follow Christ requires a change of course. You see, it's my opinion that too many believers today are content with simply being listeners of God and not followers of God. There's a distinction between the two, you know. We just had our granddaughter who is five years old with us for the weekend there's a difference in listening and hearing <laughs> I have learned with my five-year-old granddaughter who has a has a pretty strong will in and of herself I learned very carefully that uh, whatever I want her to do I will tell her to do the opposite and it works pretty good it works pretty good. Sometimes I think that's the tactic God needs to use with us. <laughs> Tell us, listen, it's a horrible thing to, to do such and such, and, and, and all the time what he really wants us to do is to do it. But too many times we are listeners of God, not followers of God. Jesus desires a close relationship. He said, follow me. Don't follow a religion. Don't follow the Ten Commandments. Don't follow those things. Follow me. Following is a consistent and constant practice. The Greek classical use of the word follow means to follow a path. It's used of a soldier following his commander or the following the laws of the land. Figuratively, it is following advice someone gives to adjust to the opinion of another. Constant obedience in thought, word, and deed. This is a long and continuous action to follow i have an app in my phone that you may have it also called ways w-a-z-e y'all ever use that it's it's disturbingly accurate i don't know how i can my, my wife is she always gets tickled at me because i will know exactly where i'm going and i will plug in the address just so i'll kind of know when I'm going to get there and doggone it it is within 
within just a minute or two of the destination arrival time. She says, why do you do, you know where you're going, why do you even use that thing? I said, well, it warns me of accidents, it warns me of debris in the road, and it, it warns me of police down the highway possibly. Not that I would ever need that help or aid. I was rather skeptical when I first started using that little device. I was down in Atlanta. I will never forget it. I was uh, going, I knew exactly where I was going, but I was just kind of playing with this Waze device and uh, this app on my phone. And, and I knew where I was going. I was going down I-20, cutting across Atlanta there. And I knew my destination. I knew what exit I needed to get off at. But it was telling me to get off a different way. I'm thinking, this stupid thing, it does not know what it's talking about. I know the way to go. This thing does not. And about a quarter mile past the exit, I see taillights everywhere. And what would have been a simple solution by following the directions would have been very, very easy to do. So I decided to use that Waze illustration in a sermon not too very many months ago. And my wife happened to be in the service when I was preaching that. The following Saturday night, we had been up to Spartanburg to see my grandkids involved in something that they were doing basketball or something like that baseball I think my, my grandson was playing some fall ball or something but uh, we were up there and it was late the evening and we were headed back home and I plugged in the address for my home address this is a trip I've made who knows how many times over 14 years I've gone in that direction but uh, in the process put ways in there and we're clipping along I-85 we're heading down to the exit that we have always almost always taken and we don't quite get to the South Carolina Georgia line when ways I glanced down at it hadn't paid much attention to it but I glanced down at it and it was saying you need to exit now and I'm it's dark it's wanting me to go on roads I've never been <laughs> been on before I'm not about to do that. What do you think I am, nuts or something? No, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. And I said to, said to my wife, I said, it's wanting us to exit now. She said, we've never been that way before. I said, I know. That's crazy. It's nighttime. We get on down the road a little bit, and he calls for me to take the next exit. I'm going, this thing is haywire tonight. I don't know what the problem is. You know exactly what happened. Right after that next exit where it was telling me to exit, there ought to be a little response on there. When you disregard it, it just comes up and says, dummy or something like that. And my wife, being the encourager that she is to me, reminded me, didn't you use this as a sermon illustration last Sunday? Yeah. Well, what does it mean for us to follow Christ? Well, I wish it was as simple as plugging in a destination and getting there, don't you? I mean, I tell you what, my, my wife and I had to have had this discussion. We've been married 45 and a half years now, and we've both said on numerous occasions, what if we had known the 
the journey we were going to go on to get to where we are today, we would have bailed out probably sometime way, way back in the process. But by God's grace, he gives you the grace for every step of the way. Following includes constant communication with God. We speak to God in prayer. God speaks to us through his word. We're guided by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Folks, in order to hear from God, you've got to be able to recognize his voice. You've got to have an ongoing relationship with him so that when you enter those times when you need to make sure this is a word from God, that you know it's his voice. only way I know to do that is meet with him daily. Walk with him daily. And anything that doesn't sound like it goes along in concert with the word of God, you say, that doesn't sound like God. A number of years ago, I came home one day for lunch. And when I came home for lunch that particular day, this was long before the days of everybody having cell phones. We had this thing called an answering machine. Y'all remember those? Some of you may still have them. I chunked mine a long time ago. My son said, why, why you got that thing? I said, I don't know. I came home for lunch one day from the office at church. And there was this uh, voice uh, recorded on there from someone it says hello Lex and Pam this is a voice from your past sorry you're not home I'll call you in a couple of weeks and he didn't tell us who he was so I played it again I'm listening very carefully do I recognize that voice a voice from my past how could that be a voice from my past I don't recognize this voice so Pam gets home from school. She was uh, working in one of the schools there in, in Sugar Hill. And she came in and said, Pam, listen to this. And I punched the button there. And, and she played it. And we listened to it. And we both looked at each other with a great deal of puzzlement. We didn't quite get who it was. And those kind of things can drive you nuts. A couple of weeks later, one evening, I get a phone call. This guy says, Lex. Did you get my message a few weeks back? I said, what message was that? A voice from your past. I said, yeah, who are you? <laughs> yeah, well, the funny thing about it was it was the guy, the last guy my wife dated before she started dating me. <laughs> we happened to be mutual friends in college. I said, well, that was reassuring that you did not recognize his name. But he was a friend of mine, and we had played on intramural teams together and there was a day when I encountered this guy his name was James and there was a gay day when I encountered him on a regular basis that all it would have taken is picking up a phone and I would have known immediately who you know those kind of people right well sometimes if we're not careful and we're not walking with God daily and following him daily and keeping up that daily communication, when that voice comes, you can't distinguish it as being from God. Following includes constant confrontation with the flesh. Our flesh battles against the Spirit. It is a war that we have on a daily basis. And you may win the battle today, but the enemy wakes up tomorrow like he never lost a thing. And is ready to do battle again. 
Following includes constant concern for others. Jesus was constantly caring for others in ministry. If we are to follow him, we must have the same heart that Jesus has. The things that breaks his heart ought to break our hearts. The people that he's concerned for in his heart ought to be the people that we're concerned for in our heart. And following Jesus includes constant conformity to Christ. When we fail to follow Christ, we're conforming to this world. When we faithfully follow Christ, we're conforming to his will. Each person's life is a reflection of the decisions and choices they've made along the way. Each choice or decision to follow or not follow sends us in a direction and a path toward a destination. If a person makes a decision to go to college, certain things are required in order to make that decision come true. If a person makes a decision to be a teacher, there are certain requirements involved. If a person decides to be a lawyer, there are certain things required. If you're going to be a, a plumber or an electrician, there are certain requirements in order to wear that thing. And that badge and that re requirement is a prerequisite. Regardless of the path selected, there are certain things required. And if you choose to come after Christ, there are certain things that are required of us. And that is to not die ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Him. I am a strong proponent of I worked for John Maxwell for about a year back in the early 2000s. John Maxwell is a leader guru, and one of the things that he, one of the phrases that he has probably borrowed from somebody, but he certainly popularized it, is that everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, Jesus is the head of the church, we all understand that. And in our position, as you start looking for a pastor, it's not just his leadership, but you need to ask the question, who's leading the leader? Is he following the Lord? And if so, you can have confidence in following him. So tonight, I just challenge you as you begin to consider, start thinking and praying, as I already have been, who the next pastor for this church is going to be. I'm praying it's going to be somebody that follows Christ. You say, well, it's a pastor. Do not assume. Do not assume for one microsecond that just because they have an REV in front of their name that they've got some kind of special inside track to God. Just because they got a PhD from a seminary or a THD from a seminary makes no gains as far as status before God. Understand that. <laughs> I remember one of the most earth-shattering moments in my life came about 25 years ago. Matter of fact, Mike Purdy and I were, uh, we graduated from New Orleans Seminary in the same year for our doctorate. I didn't know him, he didn't know me. I worked at the, I did my study here in the Atlanta branch, but he sent me a copy this week of the Christian Index that had my picture in it, but didn't have his. <laughs> it had his name, but it didn't have him. But I remember walking across the stage after many years of uh, hard work and getting that degree, and, and I walked down the stage, and it was like no hallelujah chorus was taking place. No, 
No special insight or revelation took place. I was a sinner saved by grace. That the only way I could stand before God is not with some kind of earned diploma that I would have. But the only thing that I have that gives me status in his eyes is the shed blood of Jesus. That I need applied to my life every day. Okay? So when you're searching for a pastor, don't ever assume anything about him. You let him tell you about his relationship with Christ because that is the most important entity that he can have as part of his life. Is he following Christ daily? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you that you have given us such clarity on what we are to do. It is very simple. It is so very simple, but it is not easy. The simplicity of following you, being obedient to you. Humbly, before you we come tonight, Father. <clears throat> On my very worst day as a believer, I am a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And on my very best day as a believer, I am a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Without him, I have no hope. Without a pastor following you, he has no hope. So, Father, tonight, let this very familiar verse penetrate our heart in such a way that you would gain glory from it. You would get our attention and help us to realize it's not just the pastor's responsibility to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's every believer's responsibility. So, Lord, let us be found faithful as we seek to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're fixing to sing a hymn of invitation. If you would, respond to God's call on your heart right now. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to live in my soul. our closing chorus I have a couple of announcements I need to make um, this morning we mentioned already about the uh, Wednesday night supper there's a form in the back to sign up if you have not already signed up um, Haley mentioned Operation Christmas Child we're collecting winter items uh, socks hats gloves scarves thank you 
In addition to that, several people have come to the church and have asked us in regards to the gift that uh, was given to Mike and Debbie last week, how they could contribute to that. And as a deacon body, we discussed having a love offering during the month of February where members can contribute back towards that. Now, my understanding is that we will have some love offering envelopes in the back of the chairs next Sunday. Is that true, Stephen? He's nodding yes. Okay. Is there any other announcements that I may have left out? Okay, well, let's uh, sing our closing chorus. <laughs> 